you're 21 or older, consume nicotine or tobacco and want to join the Black Buffalo herd, head over to blackbuffalo.com to learn more. You can order nicotine pouches online. They ship directly to most states or check out their store locator to purchase pouches at thousands of retail locations around the country. Black Buffalo Tobacco Alternative. Bold flavor, full pouches. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Black Buffalo products are intended for adults age 21 and older who are consumers of nicotine or tobacco. You never want to find yourself out on the water fishing without your essentials. So it's best to always pack a Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie to protect against the sun. Man, I was just in Hawaii and I had my Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie with me. And here's the deal. We're in and out of the water all the time, getting in to go spearfishing, getting out, taking the kids to the beach. I'm not going to mess around all day putting sunscreen on and having to get washed off. I just run a hoodie. Columbia PFG has a lot of great gear. So before you head out on the water, head over to Columbia.com slash PFG to shop their performance fishing gear. Telling you what, Decked is a game changer. Decked has completely changed how I load, organize my truck. All my stuff that I want is always in there, out of my way, and secure. It's perfect. If you own a pickup truck that you use, you know, like a truck, the decked drawer system gives you weatherproof storage for all your gear. You can lock it up, too. You keep your tools and gear organized, job site or out in the field. Go to deck.com slash meat eater to receive free shipping. Go to deck.com slash meat eater and get yourself some free shipping. This is the Meat Eater Podcast coming at you shirtless, severely bug-bitten, and in my case, underwearless. We hunt the Meat Eater Podcast. You can't predict anything. The Meat Eater Podcast is brought to you by First Light. Whether you're checking trail cams, hanging deer stands, or scouting for elk, First Light has performance apparel to support every hunter in every environment. Check it out at firstlight.com. F-I-R-S-T-L-I-T-E.com. All right, everybody. My wife's here. She wants to call this episode a puss in the pot. <laughs> <laughs> a puss in the pot. Definitely didn't want to call it that. Um, also joined by Andrew Radulowski, who uh, has been, this is your what year? Uh, 15th consecutive year. 15th consecutive year being the camp cook. The the camp cook at our fish shack. Yeah. 15 years of cooking. I, I'd say camp manager. Camp manager. <laughs> We're still looking for an Andy over for our place. Yeah. yeah. Taking we, applications. We can, yeah, we can, we can talk later. I, <laughs> Most eligible bachelor on San Juan Island. We're going to poach him. Been coming for 15 years. I don't come, I don't come to the fish shack without Andy. Yeah. Doesn't Katie doesn't like anymore. to come without Andy. Andy thinks people like him. <laughs> they think people like he's him, not only the best want. the best guy to just be around and hang out with he also like makes the experience because of the food no we're, we're gonna run so through different. your repertoire of dishes keeps everybody happy sure we're gonna does. run through your repertoire of dishes because you have like a you have a um someday we're gonna we should do a book called meals from the cove yeah oh that'd be a good idea you know, meals from the cove very short cookbook yeah <laughs> Just like two weeks worth of, of dishes. Yeah. Oh, man, yeah. It's a great idea. There you go. A puss in the pot. <laughs> we'll get to what that, 
<laughs> you can't have, say that anymore. Questions. It can't. <laughs> well, I was also thinking about calling the episode. Um, tickles, touches, takes. No, neither one of those. <laughs> which is tickles, touches, and takes. Um, Anything with tickles which is or puss about fishing. Yeah. <laughs> which is just it's, about it's, fishing. <laughs> tickles, touches, and takes. A fishing show. No, thanks. I like that. You know, because there's tickles. Yeah, when you're fishing, there's tickles. Yep, there's touches. There's takes. So tickles, touches, and takes. There's also like grabs. they're all the same to there's me. There's like grabs and nibbles and smacks and bumps. <laughs> 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 or a puss in the pot. No, and uh, especially because you're saying it in that voice. Yeah. <laughs> well, I had to say it that way because yesterday I'm going to tell this whole story. It's a great story. Yesterday, so now and then I'll say something to annoy my wife, and it won't take. <laughs> So we were pulling shrimp pots and I was expressing my enthusiasm to catch an octopus. And I said, I hope we get a big octopus. Then a while later I said, a puss in the pot. And she had zero response. <laughs> so then I had to say, a puss in the pot. <laughs> At which point then she got annoyed. So I had to like soup it up. I was annoyed the first time you said it. Then I got the response I was then I got the response I was after, which was annoying. Do you, do, you, <laughs> do you hit that line every once in a while when you're out there just to see if it's still It's all I've been saying all day. For, uh, all day, all day, day it's all I've been saying, yeah. Um uh Seth, yep, um owner of the part partial owner of the rotten A frame, his co owner <laughs> Kelsey Morris and of, my co owner and wife. Colin and wife, Kelsey yep. Morris of the Rotten A-Frame, and also the wonderful art gallery in Three Forks, Montana. Boom. Yeah. Pl- plug the gallery. I've been telling you you should come on and plug your gallery. Yeah, thanks. Um, the studio gallery in Three Forks, literally the only art establishment in town, Three Forks, Montana. Um, it's just my little studio and gallery. Imagine that. Kelsey used to be a uh, like a like you were like a fertilizer salesman. I sold agricultural implements. Yeah, she sold yeah. agricultural implements and wanted to uh, you know every artist dream of quitting their day job. Mm-hmm. Self taught painter, mm-hmm. quit her day job, mm-hmm. um, but like built up to it. Yeah, did started selling work and doing commissions. Yep, did it all on the side for a very long time until it you know got to my wits end and just made the leap. And then left your day job, mm-hmm. opened a gallery mm-hmm. where you sell your own work, mm-hmm. the works of others. Yes. And you work in there. And when people are in three forks, they can come in. Mm-hmm. You'll right. be in there working. Yeah. And then you can see you. You probably don't like them to watch you work, do you? People come and hang out and watch me work all the time. You know, they, it's kind of a cool experience because you just walk in the front door and whatever I'm working on, I'm there. And then the gallery... Uh, where I represent nine other really awesome artists is just right around the corner. So it's like a separate room. You can go in there and take your time and check it out. And, you know. And you have your building. own work in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have a wall and then everybody else is kind of spread out across the other walls. It's not a huge space, but it's I've curated who I think are really a talented, uh, talented collection. So everybody's different. Nobody overlaps in mm-hmm. subjects. So it's, you know. That's awesome, in my opinion. No, it's great. It's yeah. beautiful. And your work looks great. Thanks. Yeah. It's better yeah. all the time. Yeah. My daughter's close on your heels. <laughs> she is. We're going to work on aspir- that this week. Yeah. She's an aspiring painter. I brought her some supplies. And also joining us today is um, um, my son, Jim Bobway. <laughs> <laughs> How you doing, buddy? Good. 
I told him to keep his answers very brief and, <laughs> and to be very respectful, didn't I? Yeah. See how good of a job he's doing? <laughs> <laughs> that would have normally taken him a long time to say all that, but he got it done quick. Uh. Oh, so here, oh, we're going to talk about a couple things, and I'm going to tell my, my uh, amazing octopus story with witnesses. I haven't heard this yet, by the way, so... Well, Get ready. There's a couple right. of versions, I have a feeling. <laughs> Already. <laughs> what versions? Of the octopus story. No, it's just one version. Okay. I'm imagining the Kraken. Yeah. Okay. Like that. It was like that. <laughs> like Steve has a couple of versions? It was like a versions? Leviathan. No, or, no, I no. no. I mean, Leviathan. like, he, he has a, you have your version, and I have a feeling my version will be slightly different. Oh. Yeah, because your version was experienced from as far away from the octopus yes. as you could get. Yeah, we, we had different motivations. <laughs> well, In the back of the boat. Mom's was also more of a near-death experience, and yours was try to get it in the boat, and mom... She was picturing us dying, and yeah, I was picturing I was, us yeah. well, I mean, coming there, in. Kendrick? I was picturing us no, coming into the there, cove but... as heroes. Yeah, well, mom was <laughs> expecting you to not return to the cove. Oh, the fact, the fact that a, an octopus can give you the, feel, the, the fear of death means... Yeah. You should, probably, it was a you should probably stay <laughs> yeah, tuned for the big. story. It was a lunker. Uh, Andy just got back from Spain wherein he was eating octopuses. Yeah. Yeah, we ate a lot of octopus. They obviously haven't caught on to that My Octopus Teacher movie over nope. there. Nope. <laughs> they haven't translated that to Spanish. We'll cover all things octopus. Oh, and also when we talk about octopus, I want to talk about that story from Puget Sound. Which one's I've that? I've probably touched on it before. I'll tell it later. Yeah. Uh, Maui. This is an interesting story. You know, like when uh, programs like Hunters for the Hungry and other programs where you are able to donate wild game and then the wild game will go, um, they'll usually grind it to burger. Generally, you donate deer meat, deer meat gets ground to burger and it goes to families in need. Mm -hmm. Oddly, in Hawaii, that was not legal. Hmm. So they have this. They have a, what some people regard to be, uh, I'm choosing my words carefully here, what some people regard to be a problem with way too many Axis deer. So that would mean in the eyes of everyone who doesn't hunt Axis deer, there are too many Axis deer. In the eyes of people who hunt and eat Axis deer, they probably have a feeling that things are just right. So they have a lot of Axis deer on Maui. Um, they're trying to incentivize and help lower numbers. It's a non-native, of course. Axis deer, I know this just from when I hunted Axis deer in Hawaii, were a gift from someone from the Indian subcontinent where they're native to, had given them to like King Kamea, Kamea the third, mm -hmm. gave him some Axis deer. And now they're running all over, holy hell, all over the Hawaiian islands. They have no predators, right? No, nothing. Yeah. So... Up until HB 1382 or Act 54, nonprofits were not allowed to donate game meat to under-resourced communities, including the homeless. But Governor Josh Green, who I know nothing about, just signed a law saying that now you can donate the meat. The problem now they have, the bottleneck now is... Uh, they, they just don't have a lot of processing capabilities and people have touched on the fact um people have touched on the fact of hawaii's food uh, we're gonna uh, there's another story i want to talk about that gets into this too hawaii has very low food autonomy um they're heavily reliant on outside resources 
um, and they don't have a lot of in-state capabilities to process meat. But they're sitting on some 60,000 axis deer plus wild hogs, goats, and sheep. They have people who are um, underserved and in, in need of food. And so they're trying to clean up a system or develop a system and clean up the legal obstacles to being able to kill axis deer and get the meat to the needy. You guys don't think anything about that. <laughs> Jimmy, what do you think about that, buddy? I don't really understand it, but. Okay. There's an island. Yes. It has a bunch of deer on it. Okay. You remember when we went to Maui? Yeah. Okay. We spent time with. It was illegal to shoot a deer and donate the meat for a nonprofit to take deer meat and donate it to people who don't have enough food. Well, I understand that part of and it. And now it's legal. Yeah. What's the. Uh, well, it's not, so you do understand. What's the argument against doing that? I have no idea. I know, <clears throat> in just being in the food industry, you butt up against a lot of legal stuff when you're trying to give people food. Just because everybody's so happy to sue each other, you mm. know, um, I end up with a lot of leftover stuff. But anything that's been pre-cooked or out of the package is is just a no-no because you don't know where it's mm. been or how it's been handled. And I kind of treat it the same way. If people say, "Oh, we have all this leftover stuff," I don't know if it's been sitting in the trunk of somebody's car for two days and then sure, I serve yeah. it to people and then you get, you know, 300 people sick. So it is, it, I understand that, but if there was a facility that was set up specifically for processing that went right to, you know, like you said, they, they need to clean up that system and be able to, to get it directly to the people that they need to get it to. Funny you mention that because this article goes on to say how federal regulations complicate the situation. Mm. Because wild animals such as deer are considered non-amenable species, federal officials won't inspect them for free. Yeah. Mm. However, they'll inspect cows, chicken, pigs, and other farm-raised meat animals for free. So someone's selling wild game commercially. Now, there's two very different things we're talking about here. I am generally... I'm not a subject matter expert on what's going on in Hawaii. I am generally absolutely opposed to the commercial sale of um, the commercial sale of hunter harvested wild game. Sure, not the donation of, but they're talking about anyone interested in selling wild game commercially has to pay hefty inspection fees. Like they have to foot the bill on the inspection fees, hundreds of dollars per hour. And in Hawaii, they don't have a lot of people interested in going into the meat processing business. Now, this ties into another point made by somebody else. Uh, an article just came out in the, what area is this? In the Independent. So the Independent, which is weird because it's a, it's, a, it's a Brit publication that seems to cover a lot of U.S. wildlife issue stuff, oddly. In the Independent, there's an article about a landlord in Brooklyn, New York, who has put in a prohibition from their tenants cooking meat. You can only cook vegan meals in their apartment building. Come on. What? Is that You can illegal? order take-in. You can order take-out with meat. You cannot cook meat in their apartment building. No 
way. Is that legal? Why? They are vegan. There are 14 protected classes of people in New York, and food choice is not one of them. You can't discriminate by age, yeah. religion, gender, but you can discriminate by what folks like to eat for supper. What if, what if someone, though, had like a really serious peanut allergy? Like those people on the plane that you can't even, you know, when the stewardess comes on, she's like, there's someone with a very severe yeah, allergy. You can't even open something. So These if, people identify as full freaking vegan. <laughs> right. But what my question is, is if somebody is, if you're a landlord and you live in a residence and you're super, you have a super sensitive food allergy, could you say you can't? Well, yeah, because there's no, there's no law saying that they can't say this. But would that be, I mean, that it sounds ridiculous. It sounds ridiculous, but, but they're totally covered. And I don't, and I don't think that, I don't think that, um, this is one of those areas where my personal feelings about food go up against my feelings about personal liberty mm -hmm. i don't think it should be illegal i think that a landlord should be able to have much more latitude than they do have about who they rent to so i'm not arguing that a landlord like i would say if you own a home and you're renting it out that people can stay there i would think you should have massive latitude about who you choose to rent it to and i would even open up the idea that some of these things that are pro prohibited by the law should be fair game for a landlord to choose who lives in their place. Just as a person who believes in, in some level of like, like a high level of personal autonomy about what you're doing, um, what you're doing with your property that's not having a downstream effect on destroying other people's lives. It's surprising to me that you would be on the landlord side here. I think on the flip side of that, if there's definitely a handful of tenant potential tenants in New York people that would be like, that's my jam. Sign me up. I'll pay. You know what I mean? Like we view that as a total negative, like a, but I'm sure there's vegan, some folks out there that love it. Like people would pay a premium for yeah. that. Yeah. I don't, I don't like it, but I'm just I saying like I would never say I, I like, I, I think to myself, Oh, that's, that's disdainful. Yeah. But, I wouldn't come and argue that the law should be otherwise mm -hmm. because those sorts of liberties mean as much or more to me as does what you have. What's for, the, what's what you the have threshold for, for you to change your mind? How many landlords would it take? I own my home for you to, well, I mean, just for the <laughs> folks out there, you know, that are renting, like what, at what point does it limit housing for, I don't you know? foresee that becoming a problem. Sure. Steve, though, when we lived in New York, up until eight years ago, we rented. Yeah. And nine years ago, I guess, we rented every place we ever lived in. And you broke every rule, <laughs> that, the landlord, rule. that the landlord gave you. <laughs> like, don't store stuff in the basement. We, like, colonized the entire basement with all of our stuff. And we ate squirrels corner. that we caught in our own yard. We did. <laughs> Yeah. I didn't even check about that rule. I was assuming that wasn't a rule. A guy, <laughs> the guy that wrote in with this, so a listener uh, named Jake sent in that story and went on to say he's experienced this. He had a place, he was a renter, he's a spear fisherman from Hawaii. Um, once rented a house in Hilo. Is Hilo? Am mm -hmm. I saying that right? Mm -hmm. Um that would 
that they didn't want anyone cooking any meat or fish. Okay, because they said they, they this landlord didn't wanted to cleanse the house of foul smells to keep foul smells away, and he goes on to bring up this idea about in Hawaii. Hawaii has very low food autonomy, and everything comes in. It, there's a huge business to it coming in. A lot of money is made in transporting, storing food. So he said, if you, in this idea of counterculturalism that comes from being like no cooking of meat in my home, he said the most punk rock thing you can do in Hawaii, if you're in Hawaii and you really want to stick it to the man, he says, support your local farmers and harvest your own food in whatever means you have is the way to stick it to the man in Hawaii and thinks that this person who doesn't want them, a spear fisherman cooking the fish he killed, has it all wrong. Mm-hmm. I'd be curious to know with the um, with the food program if there's anyone that is opposed to it. Like, I wonder what Kimmy thinks about that. I wonder what Danny thinks about that. Oh, you mean the oh back to the back pro- to the first? No, one. I think it's yeah. one of those. It's probably one of those issues. We had a guy on the episode called "The Lung King." We had a guy on who uh, he's a doctor. And one day he uncovered, so if you go back in the, scroll back in the episode, you'll come to an episode called The Lung King. We recorded that at the height of the Liver King's uh, popularity. So we called it The Lung King. Before his downfall. Uh, just a physician was on, and the physician had taken an interest in, in eating organs and cultural biases around organ consumption and, and the the haggis, a very popular dish in Scotland, which has lung in it, and realized that the sale and distribution of lung in the U.S., it's illegal. Really? And he asked himself, well, why in the world would that be? And it was based on this very antiquated understanding of disease transmission that doesn't hold up. It was like based, it was just had been in there once it was put in there at some point under this idea, which has been, is not in fact true that lungs were like more likely eating lung was more likely to spread disease than X, Y, and Z proteins. And it just was a law and he's been lobbying to get the law overturned and had some success at it, but it was just some thing that was sitting on the books. Uh huh. And whoever put it there had sort of lost track of why it was there. There's a ton of stuff like that. And and so this this Hawaii situation is probably just something at some point in time someone said, you shouldn't be able to do that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. they sort of forgot what it was that happened. Uh, What's the organization that's doing it again? That's cool. It's cool. What's the name well, of the Well, I don't even know who's doing it. It's just the governor signed a law saying you can't, that, that non, I don't know any of the nonprofits that are fixing to do it. But the governor signed a law saying that they can sell it. Um, I feel like, though, I saw something about this on Tim Ferriss's Instagram. I think there's a private company that's doing it. Well, they're trying to sell it. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. So that this is totally separate. This is more like Hunters for the Hungry. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a whole other movement to try to shoot it and sell it. But this is trying to shoot it and donate it. To got, the it got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Um, which we're allowed like here in, here in, in the uh, on the mainland, even though we're not on the mainland right now, down there on the mainland, um, that's very common, that we have a ton of programs where people can get venison, 
if you're if you're trying to lower deer numbers on your property, you can get venison, donate that venison to a food bank. They will pay for they generally will pay for processing. They have it all ground up, and then that ground meat can go into various um, communities in need. Uh, here's a crazy one. This is for this was reported in Time. Remember those guys? I didn't know they were still in action. Uh, insane. 37 this is crazy 37 people uh 37 people bitten by sharks so far in 2023 on the on the atlantic seaboard is that a lot really ordered to new york 37 bites how many fatalities does i haven't i'm not reading about any fatalities bites that's just the atlantic new york to florida what's the what's common like what's an acceptable number is that more than well, i don't the average? know that that's unacceptable and yeah. i just know that it's that does that, that feel like a lot yeah it's a, it's a real spike they say that um. that you know like every article and this isn't the i'm not dogging on climate activists but climate activists like to take anything and make it about so this is yeah you it's like it's hot since it's so hot more people are going to the beach. Uh-huh. Mm. So oh, it's like, it doesn't they're not saying there's different activity in sharks because the there's water. some. Well, no, here's water. what's going water. on. No, they're not making that. But what's going on with sharks is is finning has been banned for a couple decades now. It was like after so when we used to have a poison campaign on, we used to fund at the federal level the poisoning of predators. Mm-hmm. Um and now when you look at mountain lion populations are expanding and growing all around the country and they're colonizing new areas, black bear populations expanding and colonizing new areas, wolf populations expanding, grizzly bear populations expanding, you're still feeling that you're still feeling that chain that, that the effect of that regulatory change to stop the poisoning campaign of predators and other predator protections. So when they banned finning, in international waters and some state waters, you used to be able to go out and just collect shark fins, which are valuable. Then they changed it where a vessel, I might have my numbers wrong, but it's something like a vessel that's transporting shark parts. Fins can only comprise, I don't have the numbers exactly right, but fins, it's something like this. Fins can only comprise 30% of your total shark part haul that you bring into port, which makes it economically like infeasible to, to effectively yeah. shark. Yep. Other states have outright said, have, other states have outright just done away with any kind of commercial shark harvest. So you're seeing just shark numbers. You're, we're seeing the effects of all the all the shark protection, where like this this recovery and expansion of shark numbers. But um, this is trying to make a hook. So this article in Time, no, this one's from Bloomberg. Two, I'm looking at two articles. One from Time, talking about a lot of shark bites. One from Bloomberg that they're expanding the drone fleet in New York, which looks for sharks. So they're going to spend a million bucks deploying 42 drones to scout beaches. So you can put a drone up in the air and scout for sharks. And they're saying how, see, they wanted to, see, for you folks that didn't study journalism when you were youngsters, 
you need a hook. So yeah, not for fish and sharks, but for journalism. Yeah. Your hook would be. <laughs> I was almost confused there. Why now? Why now? Right? So you go to an editor. If you're a writer, you're like, hey, I want to write a thing about cattle rustling. And they're like, well, why now? What's the hook? Well, this is hyperlinked. Record shattering heat. Driving lots of people to the beaches. Where? They might get bit by a shark. I mean, that is terrifying, though. Get bit about, by a shark? Yeah, man. Mm-hmm. As a mom, too, having kids in the ocean. Yeah. So if they collect all this data from the drone um, footage, then what's the solution? No, they're just to... using it to close. They're just using it to watch for sharks in case they got to close the beach. Do, they, do the they net whites. beaches or do they just close them all No, together? close them. They close them. They're up. They're putting a drone up. When people are swimming, they're putting a drone up to watch for great whites mm. and stuff coming in. Wait, great? why great whites? Aren't they like the least of like likely to attack people? Isn't yeah, like, but I mean, they're sharks? like, they're bad mother lickers. And so, I mean, there's probably other sharks as well, but I think that's a real scary one. That's not who's biting folk, I don't know. Yeah, I think it's like more tiger, tiger and bull sharks. Um, uh, Jimmy, you were just swimming with... The propane is smelling strong over here. Is it? Did you pause? No. We're still rolling. <laughs> I think we could probably take a little break to make sure the shack's not going to explode. It's not, because if it was going to blow up, it already would have done it because the pilot light's lit. Oh, shoot. I kind of like looked at the <laughs> You're fine, buddy. All right. Here's a correction <laughs> on a correction. On a recent app, so my lovely bride and I, years ago, this this you might remember this. Like, this is the kind of thing you... No, you you remember this. Long ago, we were in Salta, Argentina. Yep. And we went to see those Incan. Yep. Children. Children. Yep. That were killed and sacrificed yep. on a high mountaintop, and they were perfectly preserved. And I believe the one that was on display when we were there had been struck by lightning. Yes. What? She Jeez. Was. It was the girl. So okay, mm-hmm. so way back, the older so girl, picture that. It's sort of like, it's not really, but kind of like this. Okay. 1491. Sure. Okay, so you're, it's this last glimpse of the Incan Empire pre-European contact. And they had these children. I already told this story once, so bear with me if you've heard it. it, it so they, they were able to get stable isotopes on these children. And these, ch- these children that I'm speaking of, these three kids, kind of like my kids' ages, um, Better watch yourself. <laughs> That's a good thought. Stable isotopes from their bodies suggest that they had lived on potatoes their entire life. You're right really? about the propane smell. I'm Until, sorry. I feel like we're... I, I, listen. <laughs> I mean, I feel like it's like valid enough to check out. Well, let's just wave a lighter had, around and see what I happens. I had to change propane tanks. Okay. <laughs> All of the pilots went out. Mm-hmm. I was trying to get the burner lit. I was, oh, the tank's out. So I opened two doors for cross ventilation. Oh, okay. Should we open up? Went in, lit the pilots, heated up this reheat coffee. Hmm. There's a residual, there's an additive in propane. What's that stuff called? To make you smell it so you don't like, yeah. You wouldn't smell it. There's an additive. And one day, my buddy, my late buddy, who just to bring this full circle, his picture is hanging above the vacuum sealer over there. He one time was in, I think I believe he was in Wichita, Kansas, and the whole town smelled like it was going to blow up, and it wound up being the place that makes the shit you put in <laughs> propane to give it its smell had had a leak. 
they leaked the stuff you put in propane to make propane smell. So he said it gave you the the unnerving feeling that you were going to blow the entire planet up if you lit a match. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm going to open up the other door because I feel like That's great. maybe it's psychosomatic, but I have a headache. It is hot here too. Yeah. Hey man, after years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if you've learned anything, it's that there is always a catch. So when I heard that for a limited time, all Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, well, what's the catch? But it turns out there isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, Go to mintmobile.com slash meat eater. That's mintmobile.com slash meat eater. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash meat eater. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 per month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. I want to tell you about an American-made success story and Black Buffalo's award-winning nicotine pouches. Black Buffalo was built by dippers with decades of smokeless tobacco use. Black Buffalo is all about the history and tradition of dip, but they understand the convenience and discretion modern-day consumers are looking for. Black Buffalo's nicotine pouches give you the versatility to consume discreetly, but keep the ritual with flavors dippers love. Mint, straight, and wintergreen, all proudly made right here in the USA. Tell them, Chili. The reason I like black buffalo pouches is, one, they're very discreet. And what I mean by that is I can throw one in and almost forget it's there. And I prefer the mint pouches. So if you're 21 or older, consume nicotine or tobacco and want to join the black buffalo herd, head over to blackbuffalo.com to learn more. You can order nicotine pouches online. They ship directly to most states or check out their store locator to purchase pouches at thousands of retail locations around the country. Black Buffalo Tobacco Alternative. Bold flavor, full pouches. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Black Buffalo products are intended for adults age 21 and older who are consumers of nicotine or tobacco. Being prepared is all about having the right tools. The OnX off-road map and navigation app is the best to find off-road trails and off-grid camping and to use fully functional GPS when you're out of service. And as we all know, that being out of service is usually where the best places start. Plus, there's color-coded public and private land boundaries, which are super handy for finding off-grid camping. And I said it before, but I want to make sure it sticks. Offline maps. What this means is it allows you to access all interactive land and trail data and custom map markups when you're out of service. Just download the map ahead of time. Your phone's internal GPS gives you full navigation capabilities offline so you'll always know where you are and how to get home safely. 
I've been using Onyx for many years. I use it, I'm not joking, on a daily basis. There is zero hunting I do without Onyx. Go to onxmaps.com and use code MEATEATER to get 20% off your membership today. Where was I? James, where was I? Stable oh, isotopes. The, the children. Children eating potatoes. So these kids had just eaten taters, mm-hmm. it seems. And then they had experienced months of this varied diet mm. full of meats and fishes and things. And they had, these children were sacrificed and buried in this little rock cavern mm-hmm. with literally hundreds of emblems and little treasures and carvings and gold and and ivory items and it seems as though they had selected some children for whatever however they selected them they had selected some children and taken these children on a tour through the incan empire Mm -hmm. and throughout this tour were regaled with variety with all of these treasures and, and offerings okay then the children were taken up to this peak. It was like fourteen thousand feet. Um, and gotten they got them drunk on a rice. They got them drunk on a not rice. They got them drunk on a fermented potato beverage. I believe I can't remember what the, for, or a fermented corn drink. Okay. Um, they were giving them cocoa leaves, which helps with elevation. They got them drunk, and it seems like the thirteen-year-old girl maybe realized what was going to happen and didn't like it. Because they had struck her in the head. But the other younger kids were just fine. It seems they got them wasted. Yeah. Arranged them in this rock cavern on top of this peak and just left them there as offerings. I thought the strike on the head was from the lightning. No. Then over the subsequent centuries, at some point in time, one of them was struck by lightning. Jeez. How were they so well preserved? Just well, the, the that's rock? what we're getting to my okay. correction. Okay, it's so cold. Oh. and I had when years ago when I was working on an article about freeze dried food, I had read up on sublimation, and I had later read that though that the moisture and their that they sublimated, meaning the moisture in their bodies went from a frozen to a gaseous state, mm-hmm. uh, and never melted. So. You could still see, like they were buried with feathers and things, mm-hmm. and it's perfect. You could recognize the child. They only they're only allowed to display one at a time, and it's like you're looking at a. It's like you expect the child to wake up. That is freaky. Jeez, very well preserved. Wow, but centuries old, right? Mm-hmm. So, I had talked about how they were sublimated, and some person wrote in with a very intimidating correction. That they were not, in fact, sublimated, mm-hmm. and I read that correction, and I took took my lumps, and and said, "Okay, so, what you're so good at doing?" <laughs> <laughs> took my lumps. <laughs> then a guy wrote in to say that guy doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. Oh God! <laughs> they did sublimate. He said, "You can go watch, uh, go out on a dry winter day." He points out to Montana because I lived there. He says, go out and watch on a dry winter day. Snow on a hillside. It never gets it never gets above freezing. Mm-hmm. And snow on a hillside, it just vanish. Nothing's wet. It just vanishes. You're watching that so that snow sublimates. 
That could be. It's like not a, melting. It's just evaporating. That could be a new game. You know how you like the game Alive or Dead, and you talk about dead people, or alive, dead yeah. or alive. This could be like sublimated or not, or not sublimated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, talk about a freaky thing, and then talk about whether it's sublimated <laughs> or not. Sublimation happens all the time. This guy's saying. So take that. <laughs> so so you take your so lumps back? Right? Yeah. I think I am. Or you mean that guy is? Oh, the guy that wrote in is. Yeah. Me and him are right. The last guy. Uh, I want the first guy to jump back in. And- I know. Yeah. I think we did this. Right he, back. He, oh, he, well, you'll hear from him. <laughs> Here's the thing that has nothing to do with anything. And if someone wrote in about an interesting thing, and I don't think they really get what I'm talking about, but... It's still interesting. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yep. The Streisand effect. Mm. Okay. You familiar with this? Mm-hmm. I can't define it for okay. you, but yeah. <laughs> I, and we, we have covered exhaustively and will continue to cover the Wyoming corner crossing case because of its implications to land access, meaning there are millions of federally managed public lands that you can't get to. But if you were allowed to corner cross, meaning you picture a checkerboard land ownership, um, and the black squares are public and the white squares are private. If you were, if it was legal to, without stepping on the white, just step from the black to the black, right? That would open up millions of acres of, of access. It's a contentious issue. So we've covered a case that the whole world is watching. Well, let's say the whole country's watching. The whole country is watching this Wyoming corner crossing case. And I have repeatedly over the years of covering this brought up that uh, that I, I equate them, and then I apologize for the analogy, I like to point out that they were not, that initially I thought that the Missouri hunters that did the famous corner crossing in Wyoming, which led to this big legal challenge, I thought that they were activists. I assumed they were activists who were trying to get arrested in order to test something in the courts. And I had said I had imagined them as being a Rosa Parks-like figure doing civil disobedience. But they were just dudes from Missouri who thought they found a sweet hunting spot. Mm -hmm. Oh, no, this guy's comment does make a little bit of sense. They never had the intention. And then we were talking about how now this landowner, no, this, this guy's exactly right the more I think this through, and I'll get to it. The landowner used to have a problem with four dudes from Missouri now and then corner crossing onto his place. But this guy now is going to have, it's going to, you know that famous picture during the Alaska gold rush of people coming out of Whittier and going up that, (laughs) going up that mountain to get into the Yukon. That's what this dude's corner is going to look like from now on. The Streisand effect is like when you draw attention to something. So this guy's exactly right. Had that guy just shut up. Yeah. Instead of those Missouri dudes, listen, I see what y'all are up to here. And um, why don't you come over and have a cup of coffee? Mm-hmm. Let's just keep this between us. You keep hunting because if this gets out, it's going to be a shit show. Yeah. But it's out. So Barbara Streisand, <laughs> I never heard this. Barbara Streisand long ago was in a, had a photo of her home in Malibu um, taken. It was about coastal erosion. So a journalist was covering coastal erosion and catches a photo of Barbara Streisand outside her home in Malibu, which was suffering from coastal erosion. She wanted it taken down. It somehow had wound up in the public record, and she wanted her photo of her outside of her house 
in Malibu, not part of the public record. She takes it to court. Prior to her taking it to court, the story, even though the photo was part of the public record, the photo had been accessed six, six times, twice by her own lawyer. Okay? Mm-hmm. After the lawsuit became public in the news, it racked up hundreds of thousands of downloads. Mm-hmm. That's the Streisand effect. Yep. Um, but also guy wrote in speaking of, we talked about, we had the guest on David Grand, author of the wager. They're making, uh, another one of David Grand's books, killers of the flower moon into a movie. Sturgill Simpson, um, is in that movie. And someone wanted to let us know that Sturgill Simpson was also in a zombie movie in 2019. Thanks for the note. Um, called the dead don't die big thing about another starvation experience we're not going to get into and the last thing i want to cover is this and james i think you'll take great interest in this ready for this yep especially because buddy you don't know this because you were too little you know that that photo on our fridge you guys are always putting the magnets over everybody's body parts oh yeah because your kids are all skinny <laughs> dipping in the river mm-hmm. <laughs> right there Okay. This what he's talking about was right there in Calicoon on the Delaware River. We used to fish there a lot. And you liked to fish there when you were super little. I grew up, this is the guy right in, what's his name? Dan. I grew up along the upper Delaware River between Calicoon and Hancock. That was our float. We would float from Calicoon to Han- Hancock, a stretch of river in which we caught nine species of game fish. My grandfather first started tapping for bullhead in the river back in the 1940s. He would get so many bullhead that he would sell them to local bait shops who would buy them, who would sell them to smallmouth bass fishermen. Three to five inch bullhead, he says, the best smallmouth bass bait. And he would tap for them. Now, you're probably wondering what that means. Yeah, what's that mean? Well, I'll tell you. (laughs) It involves wading in zero to 18 inches of water along the bank. Zero. And you got to get a big hammer. Okay. Walk up to a rock. Let me know when you know. Raise your hand when you know where this is going. Andy and Seth have raised their hands. You walk up to a rock with a big hammer. I'd imagine you just tap. What? Feels too easy. Or another rock. Oh, because it's underneath. What? Then you flip the rock. It will stun the bullhead and knock it unconscious. Oh. Its white belly will be turned up. Scoop it up. Put it in a perforated bucket that's out sitting in the current, and within a few minutes, he'll be woken up and back to fine. Oh. There you go, Seth. Hot little tip. Just stunner, huh? He says wally dogs (laughs) and eels won't leave him alone either. He has poked around online and has never found anyone talking about tapping bullheads. Tubers, kayakers, canoers from the city come by, see you out there at that hammer, and they just look at you. I imagine so. (laughs) I used to fish in Delaware a bit, but it was further downstream. 
mm-hmm. around Stockton and then Washington's crossing. Oh, well, you just fish there? Mm-hmm. That's patriotic. Yeah. <laughs> what if you just like hit the rock too hard with the hammer and just kind of crush the bullhead? Well, I think you ought to walk out the door here and get a hammer and go see if you can tap some sculpins. Yeah. I think you That'd could, would, you could lose actually, some extra like, tools. And, <laughs> and then leave your tools. tools down below the tide line. <laughs> then I find them later and scream at you. Yeah, I don't know. I don't, <laughs> Once they're not that rusty. we need anymore. Oh, yeah, like your pliers. There. Yeah. Jimmy the other day lost a pair of my fishing pliers. And uh, I got a text from Brody who's up here with us. And Brody said... <laughs> <laughs> Jimmy deep six your fishing pliers and sweating bullets. <laughs> I bet you I were. <laughs> yeah, I was scared. I was down here at the end of we were working on stuff at our place and Jimmy paddles over and he goes, Hey Seth, I got a question for you. I was like, What? He goes, What would you do if you lost your dad's pliers? <laughs> <laughs> and Jimmy went uh, to multiple neighbors. He went and asked our other neighbor, what what advice did he give you? Uh, to be up front and he won't be mad, but he first offered just to give us new pairs of pliers. <laughs> That's not very upfront. <laughs> That's sneaky. Uh, this we haven't covered this is an old story now, and it was covered on the meateater.com. But I just wanted to touch on it real quick. This would be a good one. This is for James. New Zealand has a feral cat problem, James. And they and they every year they try to kill some millions of cats or whatever. They used to have a thing where they would get a bunch of youngsters from school to go out and kill cats. It's a biosecurity issue. You cats love that are. probably that'd be fun. Well, the one piece of advice to the youngsters: don't kill any people's pets. What? How would you really tell the difference? They win. You win money killing cats. Collar. It's probably the difference. I don't know. You Animal welfare groups cat. have shut it down. They would prefer professionals be out killing those cats and not kids. Yeah. What? Okay. Yeah. Get out of here. I, I agree. Mean, I, I just give me the argument fun. for why in the world kids wouldn't be allowed if the country's trying to get rid of cats that they can't do their patriotic duty and get rid of cats. Because I feel like there's like a. A slippery slope. Killing cats is like the number one sign of a serial yeah, killer. Yeah, I mean, when that's what you, you <laughs> think when you're of like cold, hard cash. <laughs> I mean, now, Steve, you used to kill cats for cash. Yeah. So that's probably why you feel like they're not the way happen. you did. <laughs> also, <laughs> no, I used to be, a, I used to do some cat work. But <laughs> it's important to point out, I did cat work for dairy farmers. Yes, I'm not saying that you were in this latter category they were just talking about of like sociopathic children that were just killing cats but five bucks a cat four well, dairy but, farmers who were trying to keep to control feline distemper i feel like how do you tell a kid like go out and well, kill that cat but not another cat like wouldn't that be confusing well first off i'm a kid so i can say this yeah <laughs> kids <laughs> are dumb okay, especially when you were to give a kid a weapon mm-hmm. and tell him to look for something on a cat that would make it different from another cat. Like, I don't think that they'd be very good at you, following those rules. You guys aren't ever would... going to be on this show again. Mm. No, I'm not saying anything against <laughs> oh. it. I'm just saying that, that I can, under- I can understand. That would be 100% accurate. Yeah. Yeah. Organizers... Who, where did this, where's this article from? 
BBC. Uh, organizers of the North Canterbury hunting competition announced the cancellation of the cat event on Tuesday, saying they had received <laughs> vile and inappropriate emails. Probably one, probably for my wife. <laughs> we are disappointed and apologize for those who are excited to be involved in something that is about protecting our native birds and other vulnerable species. This is a and tough it's one. A t- it's a tough one. But do we have to involve the kids is my question. Like, you know. Yeah. If only people who knew the damage wildcats cause around the place, one local wrote. They also affect our farming. Goes on to point out all the Le- ways. less about and the cats, the more about the kids. And then the author of the article, <laughs> in the end, even comes around to the recognition that they should kill these cats, but. They would like to see professionals kill. How do you be a professional at killing cats? Doesn't seem like like I don't know. You just call yourself. I don't know. You just got like kids, pro kids name name tags with a little badge under it that says I'm professional. They they start trying to buy it back in the end. Adding cats to the hit list though is a politically contentious issue. It's not a question of whether these invasive felines should be cold, but who should do the killing. Mm -hmm. Then they go on to have a nice little cliche. It's not rocket science. It's not rocket science. It's cat killing. It should be undertaken <laughs> only by experienced people using approved and proven humane methods. Certainly not children. How young is too Far young? Far from handling, handing them guns and desensitizing them to animal cruelty, we should be teaching them empathy toward animals. How young is too young to kill a cat, Steve? How young is too young to kill a rat? I remember your kid being no. <laughs> killing a rat so young, he shot it in his underwear. <laughs> yeah. That we got him out of bed. We got him out of bed to get it. Yeah, he was like five or six. And look at how pathological he is now. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm asking a legitimate question. Like how, well, uh, how old was he then? He was, six, maybe? He was in bed before it got dark out. Yeah. When was the last time he did that? Um, like two weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> it's still in the summertime. It's- <laughs> Like Doesn't get dark until ten. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> all right, so I'm gonna tell my I'm gonna tell my octopus story. Ooh. All right, so pulling shrimp pots, and uh, the other day we got a small octopus pulling shrimp pots, and we went out and we were having a hell of a terrible pull. One pot had I don't know what happened. One pot had you never see this zero had nothing in it not a hermit crab really yeah that's rare i don't know what happened i feel like it landed on something or was i don't, it, I don't was understand. it not on the bottom the bait was not i can't touched, figure out bait untouched not a hermit crab it must i can't picture what it landed on it must have landed on like i don't know nothing you get irish lords here's what all you get you get squat lobsters irish lords um i've seen rockfish come up in them uh starfish juvenile tanners sea stars starfish hermit crabs mollusks coonstripe shrimp spot prawns you name it much yeah. different crabs yeah. box crabs anything down there that's hungry nothing come up in this thing and I got to saying, if we could get a big octopus, 
it turned his day around. And then I said, you know, mm. puss in the pot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we're pulling pots. And and I love my my shrimp and mentor Ron Layton once told me pulling pots always have a gaff ready because he said now and then a big puss. <laughs> Can we not that, with that? I know it's just what? Pa- it's speaking of pathological. It's like <laughs> a big octopus. Thank you. So That's better. The the uh, uh, what's the diameter of a hole on a shrimp pot, Andy? Oh yeah, what is it? Two, two to three inches. Two inch diameter hole. Mm-hmm. A big octopus, you, a 20-pound octopus can get into a shrimp pot by putting one arm in, and then they squish their head in, and they eventually get all their arms in there, and they'll get in there. And a lot of times, you'll pull it up, and the octopus will just be in there. And you, it defies logic how he can wiggle himself in there, but they can just get in through the funnel. Hmm. But my, my shrimp mentor taught me that now and then you get a big one, and he'll ride the trap up. And it's good to have a gaff. Flop! Mm-hmm. so you can get them and drag them in the boat and he in particular would would make a wonderful smoked octopus and he would jar it oh, yeah. and he would jar it without remember not a lot of oh, liquid they were good yeah. he would like bo- tenderize it boil it smoke it he'd smoke the arms cut the arms up and then and then jar them but only like a quarter inch of liquid it basically you could rattle it around the octopus pressure canned octopus very good dish yeah um his Mother was Simshian. That was her. Uh, she she was native Alaskan. So he always told me that we're pulling pots, and I and I'm always, I always stand up on the bow of the boat and stare down to see the pot come up. I don't know why, and I can't even make out what I'm seeing. Like it's like it doesn't re- like what I'm seeing doesn't register. And what happens is. The pot comes up and it is draped with an octopus, the likes of which I have never seen in my life. What color was it? Orange. Orange. Bright, like bright orange. Mm-hmm. Oh. That's cool. You check me on this. Mm-hmm. If I was holding the end of one of his arms right here, yeah. Jimmy could get not to that counter over there, Almost but a good clo- way toward close. that counter, and yep. he'd be holding the other arm. Really? Yeah. Jeez! Oh my God! I wish I could. Have Un- well, I'll, I'll get to what all how strong this thing was. That's yeah. like what 16, 18 feet? No, he wasn't that big. Oh, but way bigger than me to Jimmy. How big was the head? Like that's what huge. Oh, the mantle on it, like yeah. like Seth's waist. Really? <laughs> just <laughs> you know, maybe like my weight. Just, <laughs> just I never seen anything like it. I mean, arms like like arms like my thighs at the base. I'm not yeah, joking. The, the video huge. that I saw where it came off of the main body, where all the the legs came together, was you have a video massive. Katie massive. does. Yes, oh, I need oh. to see this. Were you freaking out? I didn't know they got like that. I grabbed the gaff. No, could you see? No, it's first eyes? of all, first of all, <laughs> this whole like my fishing mentor always told me to have a gaff ready. The gaff was not ready. No, like, it you wasn't. did not have the gaff. <laughs> I love it. I did grab the gaff. I gaffed it. No, you said hand me the gaff. I need the gaff. Give me the gaff. And then the gaff was stuck, and you're like, give me the damn gaff. So you did not have the gaff ready when you were standing at the front of the boat. No, first I did not. Of all. Okay, I left out that part. I'm imagining so but much chaos. He yelling. did always say to have the gaff yes, ready. Yes, you, which you did not. <laughs> okay. And it was then in the you boat. Said, it's not that big of a boat. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So you said, hand me the gaff. And then we got you the gaff. Well, but, I left but, out the detail. 
He was carrying shrimp under his arms like person hauling firewood. <laughs> the first thing I was doing was getting all of our shrimp back. Because he's yes. like unfurling himself yeah. from this thing, and I'm throwing shrimp into the boat. He's got like, you remember that yeah. time you snagged that big <laughs> one and he opened up? Tell him what happened. He was just shoveling yeah, them listen in. Listen to this story. And he just, yeah, had a whole cache of all kind of stuff that was, he, he was snagged on it on accident. Oh. Yeah, pulled that thing up, yeah, and when it unfurled, it yeah, it just had a cache of all kind of goodies. Really, in there. So yeah. cool. like stuff he's bringing home with him. Yeah, this guy, <laughs> that's I'm crazy. like he's all tangled and everything, and I'm just firing shrimp into the boat. True, that's true. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I have a question about his appearance because I'm trying he's just to imagine shrimp everywhere. He's got them all wrapped up. Where are his eyes and how big are they? Like. How big are his they, eyes? So if, if my fist is his mantle, his eyes are like here. How big were they? Do you, you have a visual? I'm no. just trying to... It I, happens I so... Visualize. The, I never looked him in the it eye. It happens so quickly. <laughs> no. It but happened also, very also, I was a little bit reluctant to give you the gaff, And I realized what this is, is I'm going to really you know, cast myself here as someone who is anti... Like kind of an enemy of the show. An enemy of the show. Yeah. But after the cat conversation. But um, I... Like, my initial instinct was not, like... To kill him. Gaff that thing! She yeah. thought it was a bit much. I was like, that... Like, I a said, little octopus, but she thought that this was a large, well, majestic awe. octopus. I was, yeah. in, I was totally in awe of it. And and also, I was like... I said to you, I was like, what's, the, what's your plan? Like, what's your plan? What are you going to do? Like, get it into the boat? And then... I mean, this thing True. was, like, as big as the boat. <laughs> and so... Like he was thinking, like next step, like grab it. But then it was like, well, what if it grabs him? Yeah. What if it like I'm thinking pulls, the it, pulls yeah. him in? <laughs> you know, and and then I'm yeah. like, also like that's a huge octopus. Do we need that much octopus? Are we really going to eat that much octopus? You were thinking all that. Yes, she was saying all this. Yeah. I told her I'm gonna smoke it. Yeah, so he's like yell as he's like, I want to smoke on. it, and I'm yes. gonna do this, and I'm like, maybe we just like watch it. Yeah, and then let it go. That might have been my reaction. But well, at this point, I have no, no idea well, what I would do, honestly. I'll get to it. Let's hear all right. it. That's not a... Now, for all you people who are all hopped up on the octopus teacher, <laughs> my octopus teacher, I'm going to tell you something. We catch... Uh, you, uh, you, how often do you catch an octopus with all eight of his arms? Yeah, not that often. They always lose in their arms. Yeah. I think hell, but tear them off. Some asshole with a gaff. No, they lose their arms. <laughs> I want you to know that this story, like, just to be clear, an octopus can lose his whole damn arm. We recently caught an octopus that was running out of arms. <laughs> Were you there for that? No. He had, like, missing one. He had a half of one. Look rough. No, I, I didn't see Did that. They regrow, right? They regrow their arms. He's unfurling himself, and I'm trying to get our shrimp back and whatnot. And then I take the gaff, and uh, so this is a halibut gaff. And imagine a nightstick, like an old-fashioned cop from an old-fashioned cop movie from back when they had like union busters and whatnot, <laughs> like an old-fashioned cop nightstick, mm-hmm. a little mini baseball bat. Mm-hmm. And out of it, at a forty-five degree angle, is a stainless steel spike, about three-eighths diameter at the base, maybe comes to a fine point, no barb. Mm-hmm. What's that spike? Seven inches long, eight-inch spike. Coming at a 45 degree angle, and it's you into a fish. Mm -hmm. I take the gaff, and I, and he's got these big, meaty arms, and I into the base of one of his arms. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
and I'm trying to get him in the boat, but you can't budge this thing. Because at this point, he's latched on to the underside of the boat. And probably so strong. To the point where I've got a foot over the boat. I'm straddling the gunnel, trying to use one of my feet to get his arms freed up. So he detached <laughs> from the pot and attached to the boat? Yes. He's stuck like all and over the boat. Steve- and I'm trying to pry him free. He's looking back. To- <laughs> he's looking back at, at me and Katie. And I turn, and these guys are in and the... And he's like, so you're just going to stand there? You're just going to stare at me? You're just going to stand there? And we're like, uh- <laughs> what do you want us to do? <laughs> so then, finally, her friend, also named Katie, springs into action. And she grabs a harpoon shaft. But we don't have my big dive knife that I keep strapped to the boat for bleeding fish. That's not in there because I wasn't in my normal boat. We don't have the harpoon head. We just have a harpoon shaft and we're trying to use the harpoon shaft to pry him off. But you don't have eight people. The next day, (laughs) this morning, I realized I could have just started harvesting the arms one at a time. That would have been so upsetting. (laughs) Which didn't occur to me at the time. Just to start harvesting arms. Yeah, growing back. And do catch and release. (laughs) That's like a sustainable harvest. So. I got him, and he's working his way down away from me under the boat, and I am giving it all of my power holding well, this gaff point, handle. Well, then you gave the gaff to Katie. You said the whole, and then she was holding the And gaff. I was trying to pry him free. Yeah. And then she couldn't hold it any longer. I grabbed she's it. she's strong. Yeah. And I grabbed it, and the octopus is now going down, down the skiff and away, and I got where my arms are underwater. And you can't get a grip, and eventually I just he overpowers me. Uh-huh. Jeez, yeah. And the last we saw of him was just all what I don't know. What, I have no idea what the thing weighed. It was. He it just, was. Pff, did he ink? He inked. He inked at a point. Gone. I Gone think, from our lives. I have an idea. I, I got to think. I'm. Gonna, I might catch him tonight. We got. To, we have Jeez. to take halibut slime. Put oh. it all around the entire boat to make idea. it slick and carry hand grenades. Get some yeah. slippy on a pistol. There. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm never pulling I, pots without a pistol. <laughs> I think the story ended the way it was supposed to. I know that kills you. He but, got away. But you know he's pot. down there. That's the most exciting thing. Today I, I drop the and I go, duh. A puss in the pot. <laughs> oh my God. Stop saying it. But seriously, I don't think, I think if we had gotten it in the boat, we would you have actually a, we would did have had a tussle on our you hands. You didn't have a plan. Oh, yeah. Huh? What, yeah. What, what, no, what I had an done? absolute plan. What was the plan? I showed you that picture, that one we got year, a couple years back that was big. That was a fraction of the size. Here's of... what my shrimp and mentor taught me. <laughs> this is going to be upsetting to some people, so turn the show off <laughs> if you're going to be upset by this. My shrimp and mentor, Ron Layton, taught me this. He can very quickly invert... He turns the mantle inside out, Ooh. and it works good. You can turn the mantle inside out. Can you out. do that? Have I've you... done it. The one I showed you in that picture. Andy. Which is, is taller than me. What does that ta- do to it? You turn the mantle inside out. It basically shuts it down, and you, you just take a knife. and. How does that? Cut its brain right off. Well, how does that do? How does yeah, turning how do you, it inside out? How do you turn it inside out? The mantle inverts. 
What? Yeah, it, you can just invert it. You can turn it right inside out. That's like crazy. Like, but that wouldn't. That would mean that you would have to. It was really strong, and that would just assume that you would be able to get a grip on it to be able to do that. Which I think might have been harder. I believe than... we would have had a fight on our hands, but I believe we would have gotten it taken care of. I want to tell you about an American-made success story and Black Buffalo's award-winning nicotine pouches. Black Buffalo was built by dippers with decades of smokeless tobacco use. Black Buffalo is all about the history and tradition of dip, but they understand the convenience and discretion modern-day consumers are looking for. Black Buffalo's nicotine pouches give you the versatility to consume discreetly, but keep the ritual with flavors dippers love. Mint, straight, and wintergreen, all proudly made right here in the USA. Tell them, Chili. The reason I like black buffalo pouches is, one, they're very discreet. And what I mean by that is I can throw one in and almost forget it's there. And I prefer the mint pouches. So if you're 21 or older, consume nicotine or tobacco and want to join the black buffalo herd, head over to blackbuffalo.com to learn more. You can order nicotine pouches online. They ship directly to most states or check out their store locator to purchase pouches at thousands of retail locations around the country. Black Buffalo Tobacco Alternative. Bold flavor, full pouches. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Black Buffalo products are intended for adults age 21 and older who are consumers of nicotine or tobacco. Being prepared is all about having the right tools. The OnX off-road map and navigation app is the best to find off-road trails and off-grid camping and to use fully functional GPS when you're out of service. And as we all know, that being out of service is usually where the best places start. Plus, there's color-coded public and private land boundaries, which are super handy for finding off-grid camping. And I said it before, but I want to make sure it sticks. Offline maps. What this means is it allows you to access all interactive land and trail data and custom map markups when you're out of service. Just download the map ahead of time. Your phone's internal GPS gives you full navigation capabilities offline so you'll always know where you are and how to get home safely. I've been using OnX for many years. I use it, I'm not joking, on a daily basis. There is zero hunting I do without OnX. Go to onxmaps.com and use code MEATEATER to get 20% off your membership today. Rain or shine, every day is a great day for fishing, right? And you probably got rain gear, but you shouldn't overlook sunny day gear. Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite Hoodie has you covered on the sunniest day. Man, I was just in Hawaii and I had my Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie with me. And here's the deal. We're in and out of the water all the time, getting in to go spearfishing, getting out, taking the kids to the beach. I'm not going to mess around all day putting sunscreen on and having to get washed off. I just run a hoodie. I mean, who wouldn't trade a sunburn for a trophy fish? But why do it if you don't have to, especially when this Solar Stream Elite hoodie is built with broad-spectrum UV protection? We're talking UPF 50, and it has airflow, so you don't overheat. And what's the alternative? Putting down the rod every half hour so you can slather on some sunscreen. Seems like an easy choice to me. So if you're going to be spending long days out on the water, and I sincerely hope that you will be, head on over. 
to Columbia.com slash PFG and shop all of their performance fishing gear. So, Andy, when I came back mm-hmm. and told you what happened, you told me a story that you had heard. Yeah, well, I've seen a couple different. I've been on a boat where we actually snagged one with a mooching rig, and very similar, it came up. It was early days. Actually, we were fishing in a canoe out on the <laughs> west side. Well, you, you'd actually fished in that canoe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and we had actually hooked a hooked a big one, and it came up and latched itself to the side of the canoe, and the same thing, but it was still attached so to the hooks. So we had pliers in that, trying to grab the hook out of this thing because we're you know didn't want to lose our our rod setup. And you're no way going to handle it in the canoe. No, no, God no. And actually had a hold of with the pliers on the hook, and that same thing started moving along the side of that boat, and it was so strong that it basically pulled itself right off. You know, it was close to losing the pliers, but the point where it just got almost out of reach, it ripped the webbing out of it, and it. Same thing, just just disappeared right in. <laughs> oh, man. Dang. But I was also talking to an old time fisherman uh, at one point where he similar story where they he got it on on the board. I think he was some sort of if he was saying it or whatever. But that then came up and wrapped around a leg and an arm, so he's actually fighting this thing. And then another arm got a hold of one of the controllers <laughs> oh. and started smoking the block of the the, oh my the God. net. So he almost lost his whole That's boat crazy. because all of a sudden, yeah, he's pulling he's pulling hydraulic arms that aren't supposed to be, you know, in gear. And luckily, he had access to a knife where he got it off his belt and yeah, started hacking at this thing, or else oh he could have could have been in some serious trouble. This is because a new yeah, fear you think about all eight arms going here. at one time, and that, oh, yeah. I mean they're strong. Oh, they're like, powerful. Yeah, so Jeez. you could get a little overpowered in in a situation, but yeah, I guess a knife would would handle that. Also, like, let's say that it had gotten up in the boat and it wrapped itself around you and it pulled you down into the deep. We don't know. Katie and I don't know how to drive a boat. Like, everyone, there's no plan. That's the problem. (laughs) (laughs) We get that up. My husband's down in the the riding depths. How are we going to get over? Shit. It's almost dinner time. We're stuck out by (laughs) the rock. (laughs) She told me she did. (sighs) So maybe we would have made it home, but then we would have lost dad. <laughs> yeah, that should be the first year concern. So, to, to top it off, we, had to, we were drifting out there for an hour before they came to look for us. Uh, no, I mean, everything about it, I still, mm. I don't know, man. It was weird. There's a lot of what ifs, you know. The one that got scary. away. Yeah. I think if it were to pull dad in the water, I don't think it would take the time to wrap dad up in its arm and drag him all the way down. I think it would let it him go that? You had fast. your leg over the edge. No part of you was worried about it wrapping itself around your leg because it w- you it wouldn't have been could've. able to let go. And it was strong enough to go down. Like It could have pulled you down. Man, if that had happened and you like down the road, you know, after a respectable <laughs> period of time remarried... <laughs> <laughs> I don't want you to go to bed every night thinking about me just vanishing through the depths my, just my, with my knife. <laughs> with my gaff. <laughs> fighting that octopus, man. <laughs> That'd be worth it just to have that haunt you. <laughs> well, it... <laughs> just waiting for you to pop up like a rockfish and splatter out. Well, that's what I'm mainly worried about now is now there's an octopus with a gaff. <laughs> We were joking about swimming this. around down there. I'm gonna be out there, and all of a sudden, boom! That gaff spikes and come up to the bottom of the boat. And I'm like, oh, he still he still has the gaff. 
Yeah. Oh, it won't, no. It won't stay it in him because it's like angled. Yeah, there's no bar, but he's going to have it with him now whenever he's doing. He's you know, weaponized. He's going to bring that gaff with him. Yeah. <laughs> Me and my dad were joking about this morning that things going to going to be pulled apart. It's going to ride the pot up, get it, jump in the boat. Just swinging. <laughs> club my dad in the head, grab him, and jump overboard. And <laughs> Sink that gaff into you one That's time. a little cartoon. Wait, in hindsight, that. I wish we would have not have tried to tangle with him, oh. knowing that he got away. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, but if you if you if you pull him up again, would you fight him again? Oh yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Would you try to get your gaff back? Is that going to make you feel? Are you going to have different um, things in the boat? Like you didn't have? You had a pocket knife yesterday. You didn't yeah, have I'm going to have a. I'm going to get a shoulder holster and a hand grenade. <laughs> Shoot some right hand grenades. Through the boat. That'll be great. I like the idea of octopus spray. I'm going to get some kind of concoction like bear spray, but for octopuses. And I'm going to start putting, just putting, them putting my pots out, man. And hand grenades. Now, two two quick things. This year, you were here for this. I found a dead octopus this spring. Yep. The commercial shrimpers were working our area, and I found a dead octopus with a cut open mantle, and they just catch them and kill them. Hmm. Why do they do that? Because they because they get in there and steal all your shrimp. Competition. Oh. So it's common yeah. to kill them and not harvest them. And here's the funny story I was going to tell is you. Not, not funny, but this is a little legal. thing about human nature. Uh, there was an essay about this. It was called like a tale of two octopuses. And I can't remember where they appeared. I think it was maybe in the New York Times or the New Yorker. Either way, this is in Puget Sound. One, there was a kid who took a, there was a kid in high school and he was a diver. And he was in some food class, and so for his senior project or something, he was going to be he's going to catch an octopus and cook it for mm-hmm. his senior project. Um, and they sign off on this, and he goes down to a a beach and goes out with his dive gear and hauls up an octopus. And people in that community have a fit where he hauled the octopus up on the beach. To the point where they're trying to get the state fish and game agency to ban the harvest of octopus at that location. They were so traumatized. And this is being covered in the Seattle newspaper and the Seattle Times is being covered mm-hmm. with a sympathetic ear to the community. Mm-hmm. At the same time, a new seafood restaurant opens up in Seattle mm-hmm. and their specialty dish is octopus. Yeah. Which gets a rave review in the same newspaper. It's like, in, especially try the octopus. Yeah. Oh my God. In the newspaper at the same time that they're condemning the high school kid for getting the octopus. It just shows like a little bit of the out of sight, sure. out of mind. Yeah. And that dish, and they confirm that dish is Pacific octopus. So was there any exposure of the hypocrisy there? Well, the article, The Tale of Two Octopuses, was an exposure of the hypocrisy. It was very similar to um, a a thing that we we covered. We touched on Brooklyn earlier. The writer, the Southern writer, Ricard Bilger, wrote in The New Yorker, he was profiling youth, youth in Nevada training to be professional bull riders. Okay? So he's hanging out with ranch and rodeo families and these little kids who are being groomed to become bull riders. And so half, he, but he lives in Brooklyn. He lives near Prospect Park in Brooklyn. So in his article, he's juxtaposing these communities where in this community in Nevada, they're training their children to be bull riders. 
and in his community where he lives, they have installed real rocks in the park. And the people in the community trying to get the rocks removed because someone could get hurt. And this person's like, I assume they were fake rocks. And when I went up and saw they were real rocks, I was appalled. Do you realize how bad someone could get hurt on these rocks? Do you remember we used to go to, when we lived in Brooklyn, we went to that park all yeah. the time. And it was like a community movement to get the rocks out of that park before someone banged their head on them. Oh my God. And meanwhile, he's like hanging out with like youth bull riders. Yeah. So it's just funny. Yeah. Our, Interesting. Uh, our tendencies. Andy. Yep. Uh, lay out your um, meals from the cove. Well, over the last 15 years, <laughs> see how this is a, a very remote facility. You kind of have to get creative as far as what you're bringing in and make sure that you have all your ingredients lined up before you get here if you actually want to do composed meals. So I've kind of laid out some blueprints over the years of how things work up here. Um, so I do a lot of repeats. Mm -hmm. Just to make my life easier as far as shopping lists go and um, just the ease of the dish. You know, we have a, a fairly decent setup here, but, uh, you know, Can't pot, see it. pot oh. space and, and you know, burner space and, and, and oven space is kind of at a, at a limited capacity. So you have to get kind of creative. Um, but obviously, I've got the, the cream of the crop when it comes to... Seafood mm -hmm. access. I, I kind of joke sometimes about at any given night, there could be $2,000 worth of fresh seafood on the table mm -hmm. uh, that's never even hit the fridge, mm -hmm. you know, straight from the flay table. Crab and shrimp and halibut and salmon. If you put that to a, a market, Octop octopus. octopus. <laughs> if you put that to a market value, sometimes it's a little overwhelming to think that we're, we're really living in the spoils here. Um, but yeah, I try to do the crowd pleasers. Uh, fish tacos are always a hit, and that's usually a repeat from year to year because everybody kind of knows that. Those and, are good. And uh, as the years have gone on, the clientele has kind of changed up here. You know, <laughs> we've gone from all kind of thirty-something adults to heavy now drinkers. heavy, heavy booze and heavy hitting, uh, hard charging folks to. Uh, everybody's bringing kids up here nowadays. So it has been an interesting transformation of, you know, make sure that everybody uh, enjoys the food. But uh, <laughs> that's kind of what I do is make sure that kids are happy when they're eating. So uh, someone the other day asked, because we, we brought some fish to the neighbors and they said, mm -hmm. how does he fry his fish? Oh, yeah. Well, that one <laughs> I kind of joked is uh, start by calling catching really small halibut yeah. yeah they were so tender we would gotten to a pile of fairly small halibut um and i really think that those fillets i mean they were just so delicate coming off the off the fish and you can see through them almost Not that they're so them. small but the flesh is clear yeah mm -hmm. yep and they're actually the right uh thickness that's a, a big key to frying fish is having the right cut of fish as far as how thick you cut it because too thick your <clears throat> your outer crust is going to burn a bit before that fish is fully cooked and if you're cutting just if you're just like using little tail pieces you're gonna have a dried up piece of fish before you even get 
get to where you're going, you know? Mm -hmm. So those were actually the perfect, uh, perfect thickness as far as frying goes. My little trick is about two hours before I'm about to fry them, I actually season them and I actually throw just a spoonful of mayo in with them and mm. just a little bit, just to kind of barely coat them. There it is. Um, I usually like zest a little lemon zest and season them pretty good right right in with the, the raw fish and let those sit for about two hours. But then I don't, I, I rarely do the batter. If I'm doing kind of a Baja, Baja style taco, I'll do a real thin batter with them. But this I do actually the um, flour egg wash and I make a, a crumb mixture panko flour i throw a little cornstarch in there to kind of give it that little crispiness and then it's all about seasoning all cooking it comes down to being able to season stuff properly that's why that kind of had that nice but i'm telling you that that was some of the most tender halibut i've ever cooked it knocked our socks off over there yeah, yeah. The, 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 the review over at our place was <laughs> top notch yeah, yeah i was i was i was secretly giving myself a little laugh about this one like oh, <laughs> nailed this one <laughs> another favorite of mine that you do uh, and you might be the only one that does it is a green seafood enchilada yeah and that one just kind of came out of came out of a lot of leftovers you know i tend to cook a little too much from night to night so there's always a little bit of leftover cooked fish hanging out and you got to kind of get creative with how to use cooked fish and shellfish without overdoing it. And that's kind of the perfect uh, application for that. So I just kind of mixed a bunch of cooked halibut, salmon, crab, shrimp, mix that all together with, um, you know, sauteed onions and green chilies, cilantro and lime, make a little green enchilada sauce and whipped it all together. Traditionally, Seafood and cheese aren't kind of paired normally, but yeah, it works out pretty good, doesn't it? <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. It's a very rich, rich disc, dish because it's got, you know, it's got the heavy, heavy base to it and it's got cheese in it, mm -hmm. a little bit of sour cream, but sounds man, so good. Yeah. Wrapped in flour sounds tortillas. Amazing. Yeah, we might revisit that one tonight. <laughs> made a little too much. Well, then talk about how you assemble it and form it up. Uh, well, I make the mixture and then roll roll them into, as you would any enchilada, roll them into tortillas and then kind of sauce them, cheese them, pop them in the oven, just let them get nice and brown and crispy. Oh, good, man. Yeah. My, I was going to say Brody's son, Conley, has been talking about those yeah, for a year. Since last year, yeah. And and like the day we got here, he's like, when are you going to make the and I think seafood enchiladas? I think they're even better after the fact. So yeah, we've got nice. a couple pans left over and actually just carve out those little squares and then pop them back in the oven real hot and they just get like nice crispy edges on it because mm. oh, they're, they're, they're set now, you know, like yeah. all that filling has cooled down and kind of solidified and all gelled together cut little squares and crisp them back up i think they're better on the second day sounds awesome oh then every year you do a seafood chowder that's yeah. my wait, favorite wait wait yeah the chowder and the curry i interrupted we, you you haven't hit curry yet nope yeah do you made that too. last we yeah we we had your curry last year yeah that was yeah yeah amazing that we, we're still talking about that yeah this year well you guys might get lucky and i think <laughs> it's coming around week two <laughs> but oh, we did a chowder a couple nights ago and that's just kind of a classic so chowder good. um but yeah, when you're working with all the all the the goods around here, put crab and shrimp, and I think that had salmon and cod and 
halibut all mixed in there. What did you put on those scallops last night that I we I want to get to the scallop. Oh my I want to talk about God, the cut. that was good. I want to talk about the cut. But you can talk about the sauce, then I'll talk about the cut. Yeah, that one I, man, I just whipped up, kind of looked around what we had on hand. And there was some oranges for the kids, some of those little cuties or the, the, the small little oranges. And I used some of that juice with a, some lime juice, a little bit of soy sauce, a little bit of sesame oil, some really fine minced ginger and garlic in there. We were out getting scallops. He started grilling the kids about how many oranges they'd eaten. Yeah. Well, Did yeah. You eat all those oranges? Yeah. Mine, <laughs> mine was turning. Because you need some sort of acidic. So basically, yeah, Steve was out and, and Jim were out harvesting. Oh, and Kelsey. All three of you guys were out harvesting uh, some beautiful rock scallops. And yeah, what, what are they, silver dollar size? I mean, they're about, some of them oh, get, the, 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 the actual the actual meat. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like uh-huh. a really skimpy sausage patty, a really skimpy breakfast sausage right, patty. Right. A chicken nugget. A big one's about the size of a chicken <laughs> nugget. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Good size. Yeah, that's, that's about right. But, but round. But cutting them, you know, super sharp knife. I went out actually to the flight table and I, I surveyed every knife in the house and found the sharpest one out there. And um, you go ag- against the grain like you'd be cutting... Um, just coins off the top like so you can just picture putting that thing on a slicer and just cutting paper thin shaves from the top to the bottom and being that thin and using the sauce that i did that has just that slight acidity to it with the with the juice of the the lime and the or the lime and the orange just gives it enough to to start to give it a little cook or a little mm-hmm. marinade to where yep. it's kind of takes the edge off of that rawness um, so, it, so you're it, making like a ceviche type. Yeah, eat them, yeah. we barely, mess with cooking barely, them, but I like them raw. Better, yeah, yeah barely. I mean, just yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's not like where you'd go heavy lime right. juice where you're actually cooking that fish and lime mm. juice. Just enough to kind of, and man, they pick up flavor really quick because I literally cut them, put them on that plate with the, with the sauce and instantly they picked up that flavor. Yeah. I mean, the soy, and the, the soy sauce and the sesame oil is very strong. So yeah. it, it, it picks that up pretty quick, but... Just paper thin, and man, they're good. They're just we we so had a friend delicious. not we had a friend up here who was not aware of when you see a scallop what you're seeing. I was surprised. Yeah, she's we she's had been always there. seen scallops yeah. in restaurants or whatever, but never realized what it was that you're looking at. Yeah, uh, we don't eat mussels and clams because of paralytic shellfish poisoning. There's no testing on our beaches for paralytic shellfish poisoning, so it's a little bit of a gamble. Um, but. I'm not making advice to listeners, but I'm just saying how we've come to a decision that we have is yeah. that uh, uh, an acquaintance of mine who's a doctor, he's done a lot of research on this, and just no case for the adductor muscle, which is what I'm going to get to. What you're eating on a scallop when you get scallops is the adductor muscle. Everything in the scallop is edible, but we eat the adductor muscle because there's no known cases where adductor muscles from scallops have ever transmitted PSP and people know the term bivalve. It's like it's got two shells, like a clam, like a clam shell. It's the muscle is just attached to each shell. It's just what holds the shells together. It's got a hinge apparatus, this weird, crazy purple thing that functions as a hinge. And then that muscle is stuck to the center of each shell. 
So when you clean it, you're just getting in there and scraping the muscle free from each side. And it's just that little deal. And he's talking about laying that little muscle down, like how it would be if it was in its shell, you're laying it down and just cutting, like like I said, cutting coins mm-hmm. from top to bottom. And that made a big difference because the thing that you used to, before you started getting into that, it's just mealier than a bay scallop. Oh, yeah. It's it, grainier. And then I would cut them the other way. So I'd lay it down and cut slices off it with the grain. And that was good, but not nearly as good as that cross grain. Yeah, it'd be like cutting a piece of meat kind of the wrong way with the grain, yep. and you get that long mm-hmm. chew to it. It's, it's kind of the same same concept. Oh, they're good. Yeah. Um. Jimmy, what's your favorite thing that you've eaten this week? That the halibut. Made? Oh, by far. Yeah. Fried halibut. Yeah. It was amazing. Yeah. That what was that sauce that you made with that that white sauce? For the oh, it's just kind of a tartar t- yeah, sauce type shack tartar sauce. Oh, you know what? Whatever, whatever, whatever was in the fridge. We were, we were putting it on our <laughs> breakfast burritos. No, people were talking burritos. about it went missing. It went over to the neighbors. <laughs> we, mm-hmm. Oh, because I heard people talking about what happened to it. Yeah, we ate it on everything. Yeah, no, that was just a is just a kind yeah, of a we, run and shoot. We took that uh, sauce and had it on breakfast burritos. We were putting on cheeseburgers. <laughs> 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 it was good. You know, we're not shack sauce. We'll take whatever we can get over there. <laughs> So, James, uh, to close things out, what is your f- favorite activity that, that, that you engage in um, in these parts? What do you like the most? I have two main Move ones. your mic, like I said. No? You could- two fingers. What do you feel like doing to dad right now? Slip <laughs> <laughs> <Swift> one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, go on. Um... See how much better you sound now? Yeah. Two things. I can't really decide between either. Uh, diving for scallops and just looking at all the little shrimp and rock crabs and how everything kind of lives underwater. Where mm-hmm. you, When you're fishing out here, you really don't know what's beneath you or what's happening. That's kind of the mystery of it, and that's what makes it fun. Um, that, diving here in Alaska. I, I don't know. <laughs> I can't speak. Um, so that's one of the things you yeah. like. Yeah, and then fishing lingcod. You like fishing lingcod. Yeah, and pulling up gigantic halibut. Yeah, Jimmy caught it. a real nice. Yeah, fish. Jimmy got a big one. That was fun to watch. Yep, Jimmy got a giant. It was it was cute the other night when it was the first or second night we were here, and Matt whispered to me, he's like, I want to go around the table, and everyone has to say what they like the most about Alaska. Aww. Oh, that's and cool. What? It wasn't fishing specific or activity specific, but you had a really nice answer, Jimmy. Do you remember what you said? Um, like the family that you build up here is kind of like there's like you get to know everybody so much better and get to like be close to people and kind of get to like share an experience you don't really get to share with people like more up here and you get to like really learn about everybody. And I just think it's cool that you get to spend that time with people and not have to worry about anything. Definitely. That's a Amen. great answer. Yeah. What I shared Ditto. when we went around the table <laughs> is that in John McPhee's... Uh, listen, hear me out. Yeah. In John McPhee's Pulitzer Prize winning Annals of the Former World, his Pulitzer Prize winning work on American geology, Um. 
there's a couple nuggets in there. I'm going to get to the main nugget, but I want to share a couple nuggets in there. One at one point in that book, he says, if I was going to sum this book up in one sentence, it would be that the top of Mount Everest is marine limestone. Um, he also points out that if you imagine the world's history as being a timeline stretching from the tip of your finger to the other tip of your finger with your arms spread out, you would remove human history with one stroke of a nail file. And he also says that he explains how in 80 million years, Japan will have accreted all of the Aleutian Islands into one big landmass, and that landmass will dock up against Alaska. And what's cool about that is that Alaska formed the same way. It was accreted archipelagos that formed in a big glob of like just islands accumulating together, and it docked up against California. And that's what caused the gold that became the California gold rush in the Sierra. Cause that stuff, like all that stuff that went under the plate, you know, bubbled up like that out there. But then this big blob that's Alaska pl- shot up against the California coast and then rode and is riding a transform fault. And so far it's ridden North to where it is now. Think about that. It's pretty wild. And that's what you're most thankful about the cabin. <laughs> <laughs> that that was that was, that was before that octopus. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was before that octopus. Now the thing I'm most thankful of is that I might catch him tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Round two. Yep. <laughs> All right, guys. We're gonna wrap it up. Yeah, it's high tide right now. Oh. Actually, I think it's on the fall. Thanks for joining, yep. Jimmy. Yep. You got in a lot of trouble this week, but you did a great job. <laughs> <laughs> what did I get in trouble for? It's, you know, losing pliers. Oh, losing my yeah. pliers. We can all say that. <laughs> it, Jimmy's... Losing a lot of spinners. He's in a oh, weird... I, he's in a weird stage between being a kid and being an adult. He's 13, and you're expected to now go... You know, your little brother and sister get to run around and just be little maniacs all day, and you're expected to help in a different way, and I'm sure that's... Uh, hard transition but a necessary one and if your little brother lost my spinner i wouldn't even have a question for him yeah i know but with you, you get a lot of questions you're becoming a man <laughs> of the sea it doesn't <laughs> <laughs> but you learn a- you learn a lot of stuff though and pretty soon you'll be taking the skiff out by yourself or with oh, with buddies and that is so scary to no, think about I almost- but Killed me and everyone on the boat. <laughs> no, you didn't. You did a good job yesterday when Dad jumped over to Brody's boat. Oh, that was you didn't talk about that, but well, that's too embarrassing. You, th- <laughs> you thought for Brody, you Listen. also were like, "It's a fish! It's a fish! It's it the was anchor. the anchor." I want- <laughs> oh, I heard about it. <laughs> Andy was telling us about why this. did you have to bring this up? It takes so long to explain what happened. Okay. <laughs> we had two skiffs monkeyed together. I very strong current, mm-hmm. so strong that the buoy is like throwing ripples like a rock in the middle of a river. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Way it, was, it current. was ripping. A big incoming tide. Yeah, anchored a boat. 
monkeyed another bow off that by tying it off behind that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then on the same ridge line, anchored another boat. Three boats, two anchors. Brody's fishing out of the boat that's tied off on my boat, which is anchored in place. He's jigging, and your jig is way out yonder because it's 280 feet of water. So by the time, you know, you're jigging at an angle. Yeah. He feels as though he's snagged something. But here's the deal. Andy's boat in the current is putting so much pressure on his anchor that when Brody's lifting up with his rod, and it's like 80-pound braid, he's lifting up with his rod, and it's lifting the anchor out of its bed. He's anchored on my anchor, so he's not moving. But when he lifts up, Uh, because he's taking, he's hooked an admiralty anchor and is pulling it out the other direction, which is causing that skiff to just a little bit move down. And when it's going, and I'm like, you've got to be snagged on something. And I eventually climb into his boat and grab that rod. And I'm like, I don't know what's down there, but it's alive. (laughs) (laughs) Because you'd be holding dead still. Like, you're not moving. That thing's going... Oh, and with the yeah. same motion, oh, a hell of a like a just head like shake. Yeah. Then I'm like, you got to be on a fish that's under something. Like he wrapped on something. Like he's wrapped on a rock. I don't know what, and that's what it feels like. But eventually, it's like not. This is way off in some other direction. And I said, let's pull that anchor and find out what's going on. And it was on the anchor. Meanwhile, you're in charge of the boat. Yates, and yeah. Jimmy was doing an excellent job driving the boat. He wanted to get into the mix. Except for the time where <laughs> well, I almost killed everyone. No, you to. didn't. You The boats were getting too close, and you reversed it, and you did a good job. You did a great job. Yeah, you wanted to get in on the fight. Yeah, it's good. Good job, Jim Jam. Can't watch that kind of stuff go down way over far away. <laughs> well, you were screaming, it's a giant fish. It's a giant <laughs> fish. No, I, I said, I, I said. <laughs> Yeah. It's a whatever six it is, foot long stingray. I said, whatever it is, you it's did, a lot. He did. He had a stingray theory. Six. I had a stingray theory. Well, now and then we'll hook something and you can't get it up and eventually get it up and it's these huge rays. I've seen that. Right here on this chart. Yeah. Those Where are good he? to eat. I saw that one. Right there. Yeah. Number. I can't read. You just I'm just know. looking at that hook next to your face. That doesn't feel like it's That's a good circle hook. That can't get you. Um, <laughs> Stick your hand on it. All right, everybody. Thanks for joining. Them. See you next time. <laughs> <laughs> Later. Take your new one and ride on. This show is sponsored in part by BetterHelp. It is a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that they need and that meets them where they are and helps them get through challenges. 
BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible. It's simple to use. You can connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's better, H-E-L-P.com. Telling you what, Decked is a game changer. Decked has completely changed how I load, organize my truck. All my stuff that I want is always in there, out of my way, and secure. It's perfect. If you own a pickup truck that you use, you know, like a truck, the Decked drawer system gives you weatherproof storage for all your gear. You can lock it up, too. You keep your tools and gear organized, job site or out in the field. Go to deck.com slash meat eater to receive free shipping. Go to decked.com slash meat eater. Get yourself some free shipping. 